lead. Mick Dittman is squeezing through on naturalism's emanations there with heroicity. And here comes Viander Cross. Viander Cross down the outside is motoring home. Naturalism the leader. Viander Cross inch by inch is wearing him down. Naturalism still in front. He ran out near the line, but Naturalism wins at a half length to Viander Cross in a bumping finish. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and the High Gang Group. The Tab Highway races introduced in 2015 have been a runaway winner for racing New South Wales and country participants. Every bit as popular are the Midways, introduced as recently as July 2021 and already a primary focus of the smaller metropolitan and provincial stables. How fitting it was that the very first Midway winner, our Bellagio Miss, was trained by Greg Hickman, who'd been a very enthusiastic advocate of the concept. Even the inaugural Four Pillars run on October 30th last year was run under midway conditions and won impressively by the Tracy Bartley train Kiss Sum. The midways have been a natural progression from the highly popular highways, which have been a regular feature on Saturday Metropolitan programs for six years. The highways have created tremendous interest with country owners who are constantly on the lookout for the right horse. Bush trainers have something to aim for with progressive horses and the punters find the tab highways great betting mediums. The highways and the midways, now worth $100,000, are a major part of the new look of New South Wales racing. Nick Olive was about eight years of age when he first attended the Canberra races with his dad Laurie and brother Tim, and like so many before him, young Nick was instantly attracted to the colour, to the spectacle, and to the sheer presence of the thoroughbred. Every time he went to the races, his fascination with the sport grew stronger. During his years at Stirling College, Nick was able to get some work experience with Simon Katz, who trained a small team of horses on a property at nearby Cambar. His dad would drop him off before school, and Simon would run him to Stirling College later in the morning. These were the first few steps on the long journey to the acquisition of his own trainer's licence at age 32. The things he did and the people he met along the way make for good listening on a podcast we're about to present. From his base at Thoroughbred Park at Canberra, Nick has prepared close to 700 winners. There have been a few talented horses and one, just one, unforgettable little mare who took her young trainer to racing's biggest stage. There was one freakish accident early days that could have driven him away from racing, but he was back at work in no time and all these years on, he's every bit as keen as he was the day Dad took him to that very first race meeting. Nick Olive, great to catch up. Thanks for joining us. Great to be on, John. Thank you. Well, your dad's got a lot to answer for, hasn't he? Yeah, he does, mate. Um, he does, yeah. He took me to the races. Well, he took my, myself and my brother to the races quite regularly out here at Canberra, and mm. uh, we were both very passionate about it and loved it, and for me, um, it started an ambition to to start a career in this industry. Mm. And Nick, 
They've been ordinary times and some wonderful times, but you're just as besotted today as you were then. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, look, I still love it. I do, John. Um, you know, most people that have been in the industry for a long time will tell you that. Um, a lot of downs, you know, there's occasional ups, but a lot of down times. Um, but you just take those in your stride and try and try and do the best. The next, you know, it's a new day the next day. Mm. Firstly, we should say that you're not long over a bout of COVID and it stopped you in your tracks for a week or two. Yeah, it did, John. Yeah, it knocked me around a bit, actually. Um, no one in our family had had COVID um, in my immediate family and my, you know, my, my extended family. And uh, we all we all went for dinner one night and, and we all came down with it within the next few days. And um mm. Yeah, knocked me around for about a week, but I'm I'm well and truly over it now, and and um, yeah, back enjoying what I what I love, but what I love best. Your fellow Canberra trainers Keith Dryden and Norm Gardner have both been on the podcast, and they both told me they wouldn't want to train anywhere else, despite the freezing winters. You feel the same way. Yeah, look, I, I I love it here, Cameron, but I, I must admit we have had some challenges here, mate. Um, you know, just recently with workers' comp and so forth. So that's making it a lot harder. But yeah, it is a wonderful place to train here. Um, great facilities, and you know, I'm a local Canberra boy, very passionate about this area. And uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to go anywhere else. You're not getting the same support from government as the New South Wales government extends to our racing industry are you yeah look all, all we want is just a similar setup to the what the governments do in other states in australia with the point of consumption tax it all goes back into this into the industry and in canberra they only put 30 percent back into the industry so uh it's very tough mate but um hopefully something changes in the near future do you have lines of communication with the act government yeah we do uh, we do, mate, but, you know, the club's done a, a great job just renewing a contract with them for funding, but it, it's not enough, you know. So um, they're not they're not uh, pro-racing, mate, so it makes it very difficult. Mm. Nick, have any Canberra trainers indicated they could be moving to New South Wales? Is this a likely scenario? Yes, it is. Yeah, yep. You know, Lukey Peppers, he moved a few weeks ago. He's He mm. worked for me for a long time and, he, you know, he's got a successful training career himself and he moved to Scone just recently uh, because of these issues and um, I'm sure he's not going to be the only one. Mm, that's a pity. Yeah. That's a pity because I, I have never met a Canberra trainer who doesn't love training horses there. Yeah, that's true, mate. It's a great bunch of trainers here. Um, we all get on well and we all support each other well. Mm. You keep the team somewhere between 20 and 25 most of the time and that gives you time to get to know the characteristics of all the horses. Yeah, that's right. Look, in my younger younger days, John, I sort of got up to 55 horses and, um, you know, that was great. But I, I just enjoy it when it's just a smaller number. And, like, I actually I work with the horses myself all you know, both morning and afternoon and, um, you know, mix all the feeds myself and it just it just gives me a – I'm just more in touch with each horse and I, I don't think I could train not doing that either, you know. Like I, no. I, I just like to adjust little things and, and you know, just suit each horse's individual needs. Mm. 
700 winners, mate. It's working. Yeah, when you said that, it, it actually it actually hit a bit of a note for me, mate. I didn't, you know, like you, I know we've trained a lot of winners, but um, from where we from where I came from to having 700 winners in the bag, yeah, it's it's um, good testament to to our to our team and you know the people that have been involved with it. You were deeply impacted by that first day at Canberra races in the early 1980s, but something must have stirred the embers before that, Nick. What was it uh, in early life? Television? Racing on television? Yeah, for sure. Look, I just, yeah, I, I just was just fascinated with racing, and you know, I used to keep um, records on all the local horses here. You know, I used to love going and watching them race, and and um, you know sort of keep a points tally myself of over their careers and um you know we we grew up with my brothers and sister we used to play horse racing games with pencils and pens and push them all on the table and mm. we'd we'd um we'd we'd write out programs you know for the whole spring carnival and enter these little pens and pencils into races and stuff mm-hmm. and and then we'd push them along the table with a book and whoever finished further up was the winner and um yeah just you know, just that watching it on TV, and you know, my my mum was she was a country girl too, so I sort of had a bit of contact with horses through that as well. Mm. Your first tutor was Simon Katz, who had a really handy horse called Jackson River in the nineteen eighties. Gee, he was a good horse. Was he there in your time? Yeah, he was. He was John. Yeah, he was a he was a lovely horse. He. You know, I think he won three or four in town in a row, and he and he um, he, I think he won the Ramorny actually at Grafton one year. Um, mm. yeah, he was a you know, Simon only had four or five horses in work at any one time, and um, yeah, he was a lovely horse, and you know, I I, I owe Simon because when I sort of started out with him, I knew hardly anything, you know, so mm. um, he taught me the basics from the start, and there was plenty of mistakes made in those first couple of weeks, but uh, he was very patient and. And um, yeah, he really, you know, helped me along. And and you know, he, I think he could tell that I had a passion for sort of going somewhere in the industry, and he was happy to put the time in. Mm. I don't think Simon's in the racing game anymore, is he? I think he relinquished his license. Yeah, no, he he stepped away from it a long time ago. He's um he's still around Canberra. He's a he's a park ranger around Canberra now. And um, mm. you know, I have caught up with him since then. So yeah, no, he's he's stepped away from racing. Well, after the cat stable, your next step on the long journey was a two-month stint at Rose Hill with the late Ray Guy, and you actually lived in for that time. Yeah, I did. Um, you know, first real look at a you know at a proper full functioning racing stable, and you know how how busy it can be. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed my time there. Um, uh, you know, with Brian and and Ray, um, it was it was great, mate. And um, you know, I I remember my dad and and my brother. They drove us up, and they, you know, this is my first time away from home, and they they dropped me off to start in the stables, and they took me to my accommodation. And it was a concrete floor stable. It was basically a stable with with two bunks in it, <laughs> you know. And uh, I remember my old man saying, turning to my brother, and he said, "When we get home, you don't tell your mother about this, okay?" <laughs> you know. So, um, yeah, it was it was a great experience, though. You know, just working full on with the horses. You know, just my first sort of feel of it, and I, I just loved it. And um, you know, from there, Brian sort of pulled me aside, and he said, "Oh, 
you know, I, I can see you want to go somewhere here. Do you, want me, do you want me to get your job in a stud and you can just sort of learn more mm-hmm. just about horses altogether? And I thought, yeah, that's that's the way to go. And, you know, I, I think I was different to a lot of people there. Like they were just there for a job. I was there mm-hmm. wanting to, to gain experience and learn, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so then, um, yeah, he got me a job at Arrowfield and that was went to there from then. But, yeah, it was a great time at, a great time at Rose Hill, even though it was only short. Mm. How long were you at Arrowfield Stud? Uh, I was at, I was only there for about six months, I think. Um, you know, just went there and worked in the hospitals and and with the yearlings and and um, yeah, it was a great experience there too. Uh, did the Easter sale um, with the yearlings and um, yeah, I probably I probably grew a bit homesick actually when I was up there and I just missed mm. Canberra and, and my friends and family and um, yeah, decided to come back. In order to pursue a life with horses, you'd settled on a deal with mum and dad. Now, you promised them that you'd get a degree in something along the way. And it's not hard to work out what degree you pursued. Yeah, that's right, John. Yeah, so that was a bit of a trade-off. Um, you know, my family's very academic and... Um, I made a deal that I'd study horse management with them. They were happy with that. And uh, so I studied horse management uh, at Orange Ag College, mm-hmm. um, which was which was fantastic too. I really enjoyed that and really learned a lot there as well. And, um, you know, like I, I, I wouldn't say I learned how to train there, but I, I just, just gave me a good grounding of, of everything overall from business to, you know, the physiology of the horse and, and – um, mm-hmm. You know, just even, you know, plant production and stuff like that, and and you know, just all that sort of stuff. It was just, yeah, it was just a great grounding and and you know, a really good time. And it was great sort of being around other people that were studying to you know start a career in in the horse industry. Mm. And you lived in Orange for two years, and being a native of Canberra, you wouldn't have had the slightest trouble with the Orange winters, and they can be nah. pretty bleak too. Yeah, that's right. It was cold up there too, but yeah, nothing that I hadn't seen before back back here in Canberra. <laughs> then came a very happy time with the respected horseman Ken Callaghan, for whom you became stable foreman. Now this is where you suffered a bizarre accident. You were standing in front of a box occupied by a gelding who had the reputation of being a biter. What happened? Yeah, he, he he charged at me. I was actually doing his rug up, and he sort of sort of walking around him, and he charged at me and, and bit my lip off, my bottom lip off. So, oh, yeah, um, yeah I, I've got it sewed back on. It's hard to tell unless you look closely where it happened, but you can see it. And um, yeah, it wasn't much fun. I'd sort of I I turned around to one of the other staff members, and I said, "Oh, is my lip bleeding?" <laughs> and she nearly fainted because it was a big chunk missing out of my lip, and. Um, yeah. We, we picked that chunk up and went to hospital and they got it back on. Mm, see, that horse was a gelding, as you said, Nick, so he should have been quieter. But you never know how horses are going to react when they're cooped up all the time. Some of them just don't handle it, do they? Yeah, that's right, you know, and you you just don't know, you know, the experiences horses have had previous in their life it can have a negative effect on them if they're not treated right or whatever, but... Um, yeah, not not saying that that happened when it was with Kenny's, but just you know things can happen to horses throughout their lifetime that 
that can sort of, you know, give them a fright or, or turn them a little bit funny. But, um, yeah, you just never know. They, you know, and you're right, some don't handle that sort of conditions. Um, you know, each horse is an individual. Mm. Well, your dedication shone through because you were back at work in no time. Yeah, I, lo- I love working for Kenny and um, he's a champion bloke and I, I still catch up with him at the races now. He, he's, he's retired now, but he he helps out driving his, his truck and floating horses around sometimes, so I catch up with him quite regularly and um, him and his wife, Marg, um, you know, just we just had such a great time. It's just such a good feel at uh, that stable. We, we went water skiing after work and, you know, out for dinner and, and we had some really nice horses through the time too. I can remember two horses that were there, Stormy Regent and um, Classic Magic, who were oh, both stakes yeah. winners. And, yeah, it was um, yeah, it was a great time. He taught me a lot, Kenny. You had a big decision to make when Ken decided to move to the new Gulban Training Centre, and this was the time where you had to decide whether to give it a go on your own or accept a job with the wonderful Barbara Joseph, who was still based at that lovely little town of Bombala in the Monaro, and you decided to seek a little bit more experience by working for Barb. Yeah, that's right. Look, I wasn't I wasn't ready to go out on my own then. I, I knew that, and um, you know, I wanted to learn a bit more. And um, yeah, I, I love working for Barb too. She was she was fabulous. And you know, I started I started with Barb when she just started, a, not long started at Canberra Stable, and uh, you know, I think we only had. Twelve horses in 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 the boxes then, and yeah. um, look, she grew obviously as we know. Like she'd already won a Doncaster before them, but she mm. she sort of grew a business now and sort of became the premier trainer at Canberra in that time. And um, she trained plenty of winners. Um, yeah, it was it was just such a great time with her and her husband Pete. Um, you know, and Barb, it was such a great learning curve for me too because you know Barb would often be in Bombala with the horses down there and. You know, so it sort of fast tracked my learning a little bit, I suppose. Looking looking after the stable up here, um, yeah, it was a great time, and I, you know, I'm still really close with the the Joseph Jones family, and um, yeah, it was it was a very good learning curve, and you know, Barb's Barb's had some great horses too. You know, one that we had that that it comes to mind is Ain't Seen Nothing. You know, who oh. ran in, in the Caulfield Melbourne Cup, and mm. yeah, she was a lovely mare. You had eight happy years with Barbara and Peter Joseph, after which you were ready uh, to launch your solo training career. And it was an ex-university friend who gave you the horse to get you started. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Sir Chambray, um, a guy called Mark Waldridge, who uh, he, he lives up in Queensland, works for Aquis. Um, yeah, he sent me down that horse to train and as a tried horse and um, you know, we had some frustrating luck with it to start with, sort of placed and kept placing and then, yeah, went on and went two in a row and, and won my first race, which was at Canberra, so that was even more exciting. So mm-hmm. he was my first winner and, you know, I'm ever, I'm ever grateful for Wooly to that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was um, you know, I, I still love winning races anywhere now, but just, you, you know, you're winning your first race is a, is a massive thrill as a trainer, that's for sure. Yes, sir. Chambray was his name, and I think Scott Pollard rode him in those two wins. Yes, he did. Yeah, he did. Every trainer can identify the special horse 
which has springboarded them into a professional career, and yours was a filly called Zanata. You paid $6,000 for Zanata at a scone yearling sale, and you thought you had some clients lined up, but that didn't happen. No, that's right, yeah. I had some guys lined up, and um, when I bought the horse, they, they weren't interested anymore. So my my actual my school friends came in and they sort of bought half of it. A few of them came in and bought half of it and, and I kept the other half and, um, yeah, she went on to, and that was my first year of training too. So she went on mm. to be a, a great mare. She was, she didn't, she's only lightly raced, but she, she ran second in the group one Australasian Oaks and placed in the wakeful. And, you know, she, she was a yeah exciting mare and it just sort of gave me a bit of a taste of what the, what it's like to compete on that, you know, on that uh, top end of the scale, and mm. yeah, I loved it. It was a great thrill. In two thousand and five, when she got going, she won three straight: uh, Goulburn, Warwick Farm, Randwick. Jeff Penzer rode her in the, that hat trick, and then you really surprised a few of your mates, I'd imagine, Nick, when you said, "I'm going to Melbourne for the Wakeful Stakes on Derby Day." So here you are at Flemington on one of the biggest race days of the year anywhere in the world. What were your thoughts as you were saddling her up? Yeah, look, I was, I was pretty nervous, obviously. I'm a young fella mm. <laughs> having his first first crack at something like that. But, um, yeah, no, look, I was confident she was going well and she was such a tough mare and, um, you know, as I said, she was going so well going into that race. But I was still learning. It was all new to me. and um, But, yeah, it was just such a big thrill. and. You know, it's another thing in racing too. It's when you when you exceed your expectations, it's 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 a massive thrill. You know, like you mm-hmm. if you expect to win and you and you run second, you're disappointed. But if you you're hoping to run top six and you you know your place, you you just you're excited, especially in a race like that. So yeah, yeah it was just a wonderful thrill. And um, yeah, myself and and all our mates were all down there, and we had a great time. Well, your judgment was spot on because she ran third, beaten only one length by Serenade Rose. And I reckon straight after that race, you must have been kicking yourself that you hadn't nominated her for the Oaks five days later. Yeah, I was. I was. Um, learned that the hard way. But I, I also probably thought that she'd probably, after that run, she just gave everything, and I, I thought she was probably you know, looking for the paddock after that. So mm. it's probably good to not have that carrot there to, to tempt us to run in there, to back up in the Oaks. Mm. Well, it paid off the following season, Nick, when you went to Adelaide and she ran a great second in the Group 1, the Australasian Oaks. And had she run twice in five days at Flemington, that may not have happened. Who knows? Yeah, that's right. And that was such an exciting race. She actually kicked clear and we we actually thought she was home, but um, the winner Marju Snip got a late split and um, and just gobbled us up in the last sort of twenty meters. So mm. uh, you know it was it was such a great result, but sort of disappointing on the day because we thought she was home and we, you know we'd bagged a Group One. But anyway, it it um, wasn't to be, and uh, but we're still very proud of her. Mm. Uh, the winner there you mentioned Marju Snip was trained by Philip Stokes. And I think it may have been Phil's first group one that day. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it probably was. Mm, yeah, pretty probably sure. Right, John. Yeah. 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 Now, Nick, a special tribute to a horse you loved, Voice Commander. 
12 wins, 9 placings, $714,000. He won the Toowoomba Wheatwood, he won a Frank Underwood Cup, he won a Festival Stakes, all black type, he won a Gulban Gundagai, Queen Bean, and Wagga Cup. And I believe that Wagga Cup gave you a massive kick. Yeah, sure it is. You reading that out, John, just gives me chills, you know. Like, he was he was such a wonderful horse. He was just such a kind, big, lovely horse to deal with. Um, yeah, I just, just love that horse. And I suppose that was still, you know, in my – younger years when I was starting out. So when he when he travelled around Australia, I'd travel around with him myself and um, I spent a lot of time with him one-on-one and I just, yeah, I'll never forget that. I just enjoyed his company and and, and working with him and uh, he was so brave, you know, like he, he would just, he would get out and lead races and, and just, you know, keep running and, and just give his all. Mm. And that Wagga Cup was just a massive thrill. Like it's, such a sought after race to win around this area, uh, the Wagga Cup, and and um, yeah, to to win that, it was just such a such a massive thrill, and I was just so proud of the horse that day. He was yeah, he was a legend first, in my eyes. Oh yeah, you described him to me once as a warrior, Nick. I can remember. Yeah, uh, that struck a chord with me. The expression you called him a real warrior. Yeah, he was, mate. He was he was well and truly one of the toughest horses I've ever trained. Mm. Your first city winner is worth a mention, a horse called Neat Work at Canterbury in 2005. You won't forget him in a hurry. He won nine all up. He won about 127,000. And he did something that's pretty rare, pretty hard to do with any horse. There were two hat tricks quite some time apart. Yeah, well, I, I didn't realise that, but yeah, he he was a he was a great little horse. He, he yeah, he you know he was in my younger years too, and um, yeah, just I, I think he won two Tony Campbell Cups, which I you know you know Tony used to be the race caller down here, and he, mm. he won two of those, which I was really proud of. I sort of loved to win that race, and um, yeah, and obviously that, my first city winner, uh, that was a massive thrill too. Yeah, he was he was a lovely horse to train and. Um, it was a big part of our stable in the in the early years. You just mentioned another Group One performer there, the late Tony Campbell, who was the voice of Canberra Racing for many many years. Tony sadly succumbed to cancer a few years ago, and to this day is very sadly missed. Yeah, that's right. You know, he was he was the voice of Canberra Racing, Tony, and I grew up listening to him and. And uh, you know, even when I started in the industry, you know, he was he's still around. So yeah, it was sad when he passed away, John. But um, you know, he was, you know, as you said, the voice of Canberra Racing. He called all of the horses I'm about to mention: uh, Zaratone, who won numerous races for your stable; Capital Commander was a nice mare; Rose of Falvalon, Doubtful Miss, and what about Sizzling Bell, Nick? In more recent times, a natural, precocious. Two-year-old filly. She won a first three straight before running second in the Black Opal, and she wasn't disgraced in the Golden Slipper that year. Ran ninth, but only four lengths behind Esther Jarb. Yeah, that's right. She was a she was a she was only a little mare, but she she was she had a bit of quality about. It's just a shame that she sort of had a few issues and couldn't go on with her career. But um, yeah, she 
you know, for a country trainer to have a runner in the slipper, um, it's it's pretty exciting. You know, that's sort of getting towards the top of the tree there. Mm. You know, so it's, to be part of that is just a wonderful experience. And, um, you know, she nearly won the – actually, the day she – she raced in the Black Opal. My my mum passed away three days before that. Oh dear! I, yeah. I just I, I, I it was such an emotional day. I I just so desperately wanted her to win, and she mm. she just couldn't quite get there, unfortunately. And um, yeah, but uh, she was a she was a great little little filly that we had a lot of fun with. Mm. I think that was a Godolphin Black Opal. Encryption was the winner. That's right. It was. Yep, for mm. sure. Nick, Maid of Ore was a nice mare for you. She won eight altogether, 348,000, and there was one unforgettable day. She won a race at Randwick on Everest Day 2019, which must have added to the thrill for your owners, and I think there were a few of them. Yeah, there was. They were a great bunch of owners, those guys. They A lot of them came to every start she had. You know, They'd travel everywhere with her. Um, she got around a bit, um, but yeah, that day on Everest Day uh, was just great. Um, I, I think I remember some of the owners had stubbies already printed up, you know, ready to go if she won, you know, about her winning on Everest Day. So we ended up drinking out of those, and um, <laughs> yeah, it was just, you know, it's just a great day, it's, especially as I said, just for the you know people that are involved in country racing, they don't get to experience that every every week, and. Um, mm to go up on one of the biggest, you know, new exciting race days in Australia and, and win a race, it was they, they just loved it. It was a great thrill for them. I'll just get you to stand by, Nick, while we clear a commitment on the podcast and we'll come back with you after this. Ticket sales got underway on Friday the 1st of July in the 2022 Kosciuszko Sweepstakes, your opportunity to share in the $1.3 million prize money on offer for the world's richest race for country train gallopers. New South Wales residents can purchase $5 sweepstakes tickets via the TAB app, local pubs and clubs, TAB agencies and at New South Wales race meetings. 14 winning tickets will be drawn on the 8th of September with each winner then selecting a New South Wales country or ACT trained horse to race in their slot once they've agreed with the horse's owner group as to how they will share prize money for the race. Ticket sales will close at 11.59pm on Wednesday the 7th of September 2022. The much-anticipated The Kosciuszko Sweepstakes Draw will take place on Thursday the 8th of September and will be broadcast live on Sky Thoroughbred Central and RacingNewSouthWales.com.au. My special guest is Canberra trainer Nick Olive. Well, Nick, we've saved some space for single gaze, a $70,000 yearling purchase who won $2.3 million. At first glance, it's surprising that she only won five races from 35 starts. But we must never forget that little girl raced at the elite level for her entire career. Yeah, she was... She was another level for us, you know. Like to have a to have a genuine Group One horse in the stable that you know you're lining up in Group One races nearly every start. Um, 
what an exciting time. Such a great bunch of owners too that, um, you know, really embraced the experience, would travel away and, and would travel away for a week at a time when she was racing, you know. So, mm. um, yeah, she she was just – obviously she's the best horse I've ever trained by a long way. And, you know, I think she could have easily have won a few more group ones if she just had that ounce of luck on a few of them. There was just a few that she was unlucky and, and um, mm. you know, even – like her her record too, uh, she raced in the Golden Slipper. She ran second in the Black Opal. She ran third in the Magic Millions, um, two year old, and then she came back and ran second in the Magic Millions three year old, and mm. and um, obviously won the Keith Nolan, and then you know won the Vinery. Um, unfortunately, she fell in the Oaks, which was a you know probably one of my sad my you know most. Uh, treacherous days on a race course. But, oh, dear um, me. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. You said she ran in the slipper, Nick. That was Vancouver's slipper, and she was out of a place, but do you know she was only three and a half lengths from Vancouver? Yeah, I, I know. And I think she ran, I don't know if it was the quickest or second quickest last 600 in the race too. You know, she got back and she, she really hit the line hard. So, um yeah, great, great. Uh, that was great. You know, to have her and Sizzling Bell both racing the slipper two years apart um, mm. was just a massive thrill. Mm. Single Gazer's form was a little patchy over her next four or five runs, but then in the autumn of 2016, she really put it together. She ran second in the surround. She won the Arrow Field at Kembla, and then came the sweet taste of Group 1 success in the Vinery Stud Stakes. It was your first. It was Cathy O'Hara's second. There's a Mark Bradley photo of single gays going past the post in the Vinery. It's taken from the inside the running rail, and it doesn't need a caption, Nick, because the <laughs> grin on Cathy O'Hara's face is pure gold. Yeah, it sure is. You know, And you know what? One of the owners got me that photo, and it, it takes place on my wall at home. Like, in a... <laughs> You know, it's a massive, big, like actually not the photo. It's actually been painted, so mm. it's a proper. Got an artist to commission to paint it, and yeah. yeah, it sits on my wall at home, mate. But yeah, such a great thrill, and you know, Kathy, she was such a big part of that mare, and and you know, you go back through a lot of my stakes winners, and Kathy was on them. You know, she doesn't mm. ride for me all the time, but she's just landed on the right horses and and got the best out of them over over my career. So. Yeah, that was just, you know, like it's it's everyone's dream to win a Group One race. It's in the industry. That's what we're all chasing, and and to to be able to achieve that and just enjoy it was just sensational. Two weeks after the euphoria of the Vinery, came the horror of a sickening fall in the Australasian Oaks, won by Sophia Rosa. Your filly clipped heels at the top of the straight. She speared to the ground and then somersaulted over and landed on Cathy O'Hara. Now, Nick, I can't begin to imagine how you were feeling when you ran out the gate at Randwick onto the track and you sprinted up the straight 400 metres to the scene of the accident. Uh, your heart must have been racing. I just can't imagine uh, the horror of, of that two minutes. Yeah, look, it was yeah not a great day that one. It was so emotional. Like the like that that experience was just so emotional. You know, like 
just the the fear of you know whether the horse and Kathy were okay to start with and and um you know and just getting up there and and seeing Kathy you know on the ground injured and and her like I, I'll never forget this she just sat up and she said oh is the horse okay Nick is the horse okay you know she had people all around her and she's just where's Nick is the horse okay you know is like that just, the first thing she said yeah it was that's all is she was horse saying okay? yeah 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 she just she loved that little mare she just um you know Kath and single gaze just were were very close with each other and yeah it was just such an emotional day that day uh, so draining and um, you know, it took a long time for for the horse to come right, and it took a while for Cass to come right too. But um, well, her list of injuries, Nick, was heartbreaking: dislocated collarbone, a collapsed lung, two broken ribs, and a very heavy concussion. She was badly knocked about. Yeah, she was. It was a horrific fall to watch too. You know, so um, in the end, we'll, they were both probably pretty lucky. Mm. Well, the mayor didn't appear at the trials. You gave her every hope of every opportunity to get over it. It was 10 months before she trialled, and then it took her a while to regain any sort of form. Her first three runs in Sydney were pretty average, but she got her act together when you took her to Queensland. She won the Tats quality. She ran second in the Hollandale. She ran a great race in the Doomben Cup, unplaced but not far away. Then she won the PJ O'Shea and ran second in the Brisbane Cup. Your girl was back. Yeah, she was. We knew after that Queensland campaign that, you know, she was back and she was probably back bigger and better. Um, you know, just she just really thrived up there in Queensland and raced so well in those races. Um, yeah, that, that was just such an enjoyable time. Um you know, Billy was up, Billy Owen was up there with her the whole time and I was mm. doing a week in Canberra, a week in Queensland, sort of about, about. And, um, yeah, it was such a great uh, preparation for her up in Queensland and she did a super job. Then you took her to Melbourne for six runs over the spring carnival. And let's not forget the class of the opposition she was racing with right through the carnival. She was unplaced in the Memsey. She ran fifth in the Maccabi Diva fourth in the Underwood, fourth in the Caulfield Stakes, and then a cracking second to boom time in the Caulfield Cup. I bet you got off your seat this time when they turned home. <laughs> I sure did. Like, that was a mat. Just, you know, that's probably one of my biggest fields on a racetrack, and we ran second. So um, just, you know, anyone that's listening to this podcast, I, I say to them, go watch the replay of that Caulfield Cup. It was just... Mm. An absolute Herculean performance by her. You know, she didn't have an easy run and she was still there in the finish trying to win the race. So it was, yeah. You know, I was proud of a voice commander in the World Cup, but that, you know, that yeah. was probably the proudest I've ever been of a horse in a race. She just tried to try to hard out and, and, and just got beat too. Oh, terrific run. Well, she lined up in the Melbourne Cup. She finished officially 17th and Nick... Nothing went right. She had an awful run in the race. Everything went wrong. It was a pretty tough watch, I'd imagine. Yeah, it was. Like coming down the straight first time, she got cleaned up twice. Um, mm. And and it, she really never got back into the race after that. And, and um, you know, I'm pleased that she wasn't hammered, you know, because she was – she pulled up pretty sore after that and um, 
you know, it was time for the paddock again. But uh, mm. but just, a, you know, the experience of having a runner in the Melbourne Cup was just, you know, one of the greatest experiences for myself and all the owners. Mm. You know, just the lead up, the stuff that you'd sort of do leading up into that, it was, it was just fabulous. We're talking about a tiny mare. She was a pony. She was. She was. She was. There was. There wasn't much of her at all. You brought her back in the autumn of two thousand and eighteen for what you thought was going to be her final preparation. She had five runs, and they were all good. Nick. She ran second in the Underwood, second in the Peter Young, fifth in the Australian Cup, second in the Randvet, fifth in the Tancred, and then her owners decided to accept an offer from Kenji Yoshida, who wanted the mare for his famous northern farm stud farm in Japan. And Mr Yoshida, you tell me, indicated she wouldn't race again. And deep down you were pleased to hear that news because you thought she'd done enough. Yeah, that's right. Like we had her in this we had her in it in the Sydney Cup and I said the week before leading into that, I said, guys, I'm not going to accept whether I think she's I think she's had enough. You know, she's she's gone to the well enough time for her. I think it's time for her to, to retire and enjoy the rest of her life and be a broodmare. And, mm. you know, then we went about things and we got that offer, obviously, and, and accepted that. And, and um, you know, it was probably a bit of a learning curve in trading horses for me too because, I, you know, I, I'm just someone that's, you know, not, I'm not having a go at anyone here either too, you know, like it's, mm. it wasn't in writing or it wasn't put in the contract, but, you know, my word's my word and I, I, I stick to that and, um, you know, I thought that was good enough on the deal, but, mm. um, yeah, unfortunately it wasn't. Um, yeah, I'm just pleased that she, you know, eventually retired again and, and um, yeah. you know, she went on, she went to Japan and and became a broodmare, you know, safely. Well, you got a hell of a shock not long after when you got a phone call from Chris Waller. What did he tell you? Yeah, look, I, I, I must give uh, credit to Chris, you know, to, to ring me and actually say that, you know, Yoshida had asked him to train the horse, put it back into work. And, you know, um, I did plead with Chris and, and Charlie, of course, as well, who's who's Cathy's partner, you know, that I knew pretty well. And I said, you know, please, please don't put it back into work, you know. Um, but, you know, they elaborated and said, look, he's one of our biggest clients. We need to do the right thing by him, which I understand. Um, I was very disappointed at the time, obviously. Um, mainly I just didn't want anything to happen to her. No. Um, you know, but uh, anyway, she went on to race for Chris. Um, oh, yeah, it was a, yeah, it was a disaster. He gave her three barrier trials, which would indicate the first two hadn't pleased him, and they sent her around in the Chelmsford Stakes. She ran last, pulled up a little scratchy, and about a month later, didn't run her for a month, she ran in the Epsom. She was one of eight starters for Chris in the Epsom that year, and it was sad to see her finish last, 20 lengths from the winner Hartnell. Uh, it was obvious she just wasn't the same there. She was retired straight away and sent to Japan. Yeah, yeah. I'm, look, as I said, I'm pleased she's retired safely, but I just find it sad that, you know, she, uh, you know, I know Chris... They, those sort of people deal with Group One horses all the day, all, all the time. We've only had the one, 
you know, so we, we probably had a little bit more um, connection and attraction with the horse. And, and um, you know, it was just sad to see her finish her career with, you know, finishing way down the track when she was a lot better horse than that. Well, this is where she's at as a broodmare. She has a two-year-old cult by Lord Canaloa to Northern Hemisphere time. And she has a yearling filly, Nick, in case you haven't caught up, by Heart's Cry. And she's yeah. probably in foal again now. Yeah, well, it's great to see, you know, that she's in a farm, you know, one of the best farms in the world, so to speak. And, um, and you know, going to such high-profile stallions, uh, yeah, makes me very proud. And, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what her progeny does on the track. You've maintained a great strike rate in the last 11 or 12 years. You've won eight Canberra Trainers Premierships. And in the 2009-2010 season, when you combine your ACT and New South Wales country figures, you were the leading New South Wales country-based trainer. That's a good effort, mate, with only 20 to 25 horses in work. Yeah, it was. I remember that. I remember that year because Brett Kavanagh was the other one that was sort of challenging, um, and you know I sort of know Cav pretty well, and we were sort of bantering with each other the last couple. Well, he was more bantering with me, I must say. But um, yeah, it was a, that was you know it's a good thrill to to do that. But um, you know, and the, and the Canberra premierships, you know, like as I said, I'm passionate about Canberra, and and, and that's that was a great thrill too, especially the first one. Um, you know, and I think we're I think after John Morrissey, we've you know he's he's won the most premierships at Canberra, and we've mm. we've slot in second now. So yeah, you know, for someone that grew up going to the races at Canberra as a kid, oh. you know, that didn't come from a racing family, had to start from scratch. It's you know, I look back on it, and yeah, I'm I'm pretty pretty proud of those achievements. Kathy O'Hara has given the stable great service. Richard Bensley likewise, but you think Brendan Ward? Has probably ridden more winners for you than any other jockey. Yeah, I, I think Wardy has. You know, he's been with us for a long time, and um, he's probably ridden the most. And you know, Jeff, I know Jeff Penns has ridden a lot for us too. You know, he's he's been a great asset to us to our stable on race day, and and obviously Billy Owen now. Mm. Yeah, Billy's very talented, isn't he? He's had massive weight problems, but he keeps bouncing back. Yeah, that's right. He does keep bouncing back. Um, you think he's gone, and he he turns up again, and he's yeah, he's got a great. It's very athletic, Billy. He's good at sport, and um, you know, he's got a great. Um, he's just got a great racing brain on him too. You know, so mm-hmm. yeah, I, I love bouncing things off Billy. He's he's been a good asset to the team, and you know, him and Wardy are still here riding work most mornings. Now, what are those teenage daughters of yours up to, Chloe, who's fifteen? And Jesse, who's fourteen? Well, they're they're being uh, female teenagers at the moment, so trying oh, <laughs> time for dad. Oh, um, double whammy, two of them. Yeah, that's right. But they're they're good girls, so everything's going well. Um, yeah, so look, they're they're going great, mate. They don't have much interest in the horses, which is probably uh, I don't know if it's a good thing. Jesse's sort of she's more interested, but Mum sort of stepped in and mm. and. Um, Mainly, I think she's mainly pointed him in other directions. So, but they're both going great, mate. Good news. Well, the horses have been bubbling away well, Nick, in the last few months with winners like Just Go Bang, 
deranged Mohanna, uh, Mushaka, noble exception, Kimberly Secrets, nobody's puppet, all astern, and a few others. Is there anything in the stable at the moment you're a bit excited about? Yeah, probably probably Kimberly Secrets is the is the main one. She's out having a spell at the moment, but I think she's really talented mare, um, with a really talented filly. I think she should have she could have easily have won two in a row, her first two starts, but she just had a little issue that day. And and um, yeah, look, I'm I'm really excited about where she can go. She's a uh, she's uh, three quarter sister to a horse that's performed very well in Brisbane called Go Wanji. Um, mm. It's won a lot of races uh, up there from a from a very short career. So, yeah, she's an exciting mare, but it's just, you know, it's just because as you know, from when I started to now, things are just becoming so much tougher to win races, you know. you It's good because you've got to up your game all the time, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's just everything. Everyone's so much more professional these days and, and um, yeah, it's just becoming tougher to win races. Well, your dad, Laurie, had no idea what he was starting when he took you to the track 41 years ago. It's been a great journey, hasn't it? It sure has, John, and I, you know what? I wouldn't change any of it. Um, you know, ups and downs, It's it's been great and it's loved it. And, and you know, probably the, the, the best thing about this industry is the people you meet and, and you get to experience the ups and downs with and, um that's that's probably been the thing I've enjoyed most, you know, besides working with the horses. It's just meeting the people um, from clients to the people you work with and, and it's around. And, yeah, it's just a great, great career. It's hard work, but it's, yeah, I, I just love it, mate. Nick, it's good to hear the passion, which is bubbling away all the time, and that's the reason you've done such a wonderful job. It's been great to have you on our Supernova Sound podcast. Thanks for your time and do me a favour, will you? Keep the bottom lip out of the way. Yeah, will do, John. Great to chat to you, mate. The Tab Highway races introduced in 2015 have been a runaway winner for racing New South Wales and country participants. Every bit as popular are the Midways, introduced as recently as July 2021 and already a primary focus of the smaller metropolitan and provincial stables. How fitting it was that the very first Midway winner, our Bellagio Miss, was trained by Greg Hickman, who'd been a very enthusiastic advocate of the concept. Even the inaugural Four Pillars run on October 30th last year was run under Midway conditions and won impressively by the Tracy Bartley train Kiss Sum. The Midways have been a natural progression from the highly popular highways, which have been a regular feature on Saturday Metropolitan programs for six years. The highways have created tremendous interest with country owners who are constantly on the lookout for the right horse. Bush trainers have something to aim for with progressive horses and the punters find the Tab Highways great betting mediums. The highways and the midways, now worth $100,000, are a major part of the new look of New South Wales racing.